We've been teaching for the last several weeks on Sunday mornings a series that we've entitled Healing Belongs to Us. It was something that the Lord put on my heart specifically to teach on Sunday morning, even though we have healing school on Sunday nights. And this morning I want to start in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. Speaking of Jesus, it says, but now has he obtained a more excellent ministry. Excuse me. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant established on better promises. Now we know, and we've looked at in some detail, some of the Old Testament scriptures. For example, in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 25, God said, you will serve the Lord your God. The word serve is the word worship. And he'll bless your bread and your water and take sickness away from the midst of you. We've seen in the scriptures that the Bible says that God will take sickness away from the midst of us and the number of our days he will fulfill. And so we see very clearly without dispute that the old covenant had promises whereby there was at least the potential to live without sickness and disease, to be healed of sickness and disease attacks, but more than that, to live free from sickness and disease in every respect. Now, there are many in the body of Christ today the modern-day church, to say that healing's been done away with, the age of miracles is past, and at the very best, God doesn't heal everybody. He may heal some, but healing's not available for everyone. Now, I want to pose the question, how could we have a better covenant if the blessing of healing has been modified or altered in any way? Some people will spiritualize that. And you can turn with me to Matthew chapter um, 8, if you will. Some people will spiritualize this and say, well, they had healing for the body in the Old Testament, but we have spiritual healing. Folks, I've been in the ministry for over 35 years. And I haven't found the word spiritual healing or the phrase spiritual healing or even the concept spiritual healing in the Bible. I don't know what people mean when they say that. Because when you come to Jesus, you don't get your spirit healed. You're born again. The Bible specifically in Exodus chapter 36 and other places specifically identifies that God replaces the old dead spirit with a new spirit that's alive unto God. That's not spiritual healing. Jesus didn't tell Nicodemus, you must be spiritually healed. He said, you must be born again. So God must see a distinction between those two. And so many times people will use scriptures like this in in Matthew chapter 8 to spiritualize the concept of healing or to present the, the idea that just as the Bible said that the Old Testament was types and shadows for us, that bodily healing, physical healing, healing for the physical body was a type of the new birth that we would receive in the day that we live. But folks, healing is not a type of anything. Now, the method that healing came by many times was a type. In Numbers chapter 11, for example, it tells about how there was a plague that came through the the children of Israel, the tribes of Israel. And uh, I think it was 14,700 people were killed by this plague, destroyed by this plague. And it tells us that the high priest, Aaron the high priest, took a censer and filled it with coals of fire and ran through the camp to make an atonement for the children of Israel, and the plague was stayed. 
in Numbers chapter 21, it tells us about how that the children of Israel, again, through their disobedience and rebellion against God, enabled the poisonous snakes to come into the camp. And many people were afflicted and died as a result. But God gave Moses as an example or a type of the mediator instruction to put a brass serpent on a pole. And everyone that looked upon that serpent on the pole, which Jesus said was a type of himself, was healed. We've seen in the Passover on several occasions where God healed the children of Israel through the partaking of the Passover lamb, which was a type of Jesus, according to the scripture. So many times the, the types or the methods whereby healing came is fulfilled and identified in what Jesus accomplished and finished in his work on the cross and his resurrection. But never is healing called, called a type. David called it a benefit. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and, all, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities and who heals all thy diseases. In the Old Testament, healing was not a type of anything. It was a benefit of God. Well, when did God's benefits change? Now, in Matthew chapter 8, notice in verse 16, it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with devils, and cast out, he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. He healed all that were sick. He healed all that were sick. Notice he didn't leave anybody out. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. We took some time and looked at Isaiah 53, verse 4, where it says in the King James, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Matthew, inspired by the Holy Ghost, says that means infirmities and sicknesses. Which is what those words literally mean in the Hebrew. Griefs means sickness and sorrows means pain. Well, we have a tendency, at least there's a temptation, to read this verse as if something was finished. That it might be fulfilled. And many people will say, well, I see Jesus healed those people of that day to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. But the same word hour is used for sickness and disease as is used for sins and iniquities. So if he only healed the people of that day, that means he only forgave the people of that day. Can't have it both ways. But this word fulfilled is something I want to point out to you. We think of the word fulfilled as as being an end of something or bringing something to a close. But that's not what this word means. The word fulfilled literally means to fill to the full. Strong's Concordance identifies the, the picture of this word as to cram a net full. It doesn't mean to end anything. It means to bring up to the full. Something which Isaiah said, according to the Holy Ghost, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Here's another time this phrase is used. That something might be fulfilled. Again, it's Isaiah's prophecy. We'll start in verse 15. It said, but when Jesus knew it, he was talking about John the Baptist being beheaded. He withdrew himself from thence and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Jesus didn't leave anybody out. Now I know the modern day church does, but Jesus didn't. He healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known that it might be fulfilled, to fill to the full. Not to bring to a close, but to fill to the full that which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet 
saying, Behold my servant whom I, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. That's through the resurrection. Till he send forth judgment unto victory. Verse 21, still part of what Isaiah said, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Well, did the Gentiles trust in his name when he was here on the earth or after he was raised from the dead? In the church age, the day we live in, after the resurrection. Now, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. I want to look at a number of scriptures this morning to point out what Jesus worked, Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. What his work is intended in the Bible speaks to the work that he does today at the right hand of God the Father. Mark chapter 1 verse 40. There came a leper to him beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now folks, I would submit this is where the modern, most of the modern day church is. They believe God can heal. They just don't know if it will. And notice something else. Until this man's answer comes as to God's willingness to heal, he stays sick. It's not enough to know God can heal. You've got to know that he will. You can't have faith to receive healing to know God can heal. Anybody can say, yeah, God's got the power. God can do anything. That brings no faith for anything. Jesus responding as an example for God's attitude, God who never changes, which means his attitude would never change. Jesus moves with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. Notice what caused Jesus to take action. He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away and said unto him, See that thou say nothing to any man, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. In other words, keep the law of Moses concerning the cleansing of the leper. But he went out, verse 45, but he went out, here's the leper, and began to publish it much. And to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in the desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. They came to him from every quarter. Now, folks, I've got to tell you something. I personally believe that's God's plan to grow the church. For the compassion of the Lord to be published. For the mercy of the Lord. The word mercy and compassion are exactly the same in the Hebrew and the Greek. For the mercy of the Lord to be published, to be made known. That's what brings people to him. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Turn with me next to Matthew chapter 14. Verse 13, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of all the cities. 
And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. He was moved with compassion toward them. Here's the mercy of God moving Jesus to take action. He was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Look with me to chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20. Verse 29, and as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will you that I shall do unto you? And they said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. Now I want you to notice two things. First of all, they recognize that healing is a mercy of God. Not some special work that God does because he takes a liking to you. Because you're one of the lucky ones. One of the few lucky ones. They recognized that mercy was the, that healing was a mercy of God. So they said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus, here's the second thing. We see it again, verse 34. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Look with me to, to uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 5. Now, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. You see several witnesses already, and we'll look at more, where Jesus healed the sick because he was moved with compassion. It was mercy that motivated him to heal. Mark chapter 5, we won't read the whole story, but it tells about how Jesus cast the devil out of the man, the madman from Gadara that was in the tombs. Everybody was afraid of him. Jesus cast the devil out of him. And it says, well, where do we want to start here? Let's, uh, let's start in verse 15. And it came, they came to Jesus and saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told him how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Remember the evil spirits went into the swine. They drowned themselves in the sea. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. He wanted to go with Jesus. I don't blame him. I would have too. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not. He wouldn't let him go with him. But said unto him, go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. So this man was delivered from the power of the devil because of the mercy of God, according to Jesus. Look at what he did. Mark chapter 5, verse 20. And he departed and began to publish it in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Now let me show you the result of him publishing the compassion of the Lord upon him in Matthew chapter 15. Here's the next time in the chronological order of Jesus' ministry where Jesus comes to that region of Gadara. Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh into the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame 
blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak and the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk and the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Here's the result of that man publishing throughout the region the compassion of the Lord to deliver him from the power of the devil. Here's the pattern. When the compassion of the Lord, the healing and the deliverance mercy of God is made public and made known, people come from out of the woodwork. They come from every quarter. Now, as we said before, the Bible tells us that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. In other words, we can't build a Bible doctrine on just one passage of Scripture. But if you see two or three, then a pattern is revealed as to the character and the nature of God. A pattern is revealed as to God's intent and purpose and will. We need only three scriptures to establish a spiritual doctrine. There are 200 Bible verses that specifically speak to the mercy and the compassion of God. 200. 43 of them specifically say that the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Yet the mercy of the Lord is recognized by the modern day church in only one respect. And that is his mercy to save. Well, where did mercy change? Look with me to Psalm 145. I want you to see a couple of these. Notice verse 8. It says, the Lord is gracious. The word gracious means disposed to show favors. God is disposed to show favors. See, I don't know what some people's picture of God is like. They must see him as some austere, stern God that's sitting on the throne carrying a big gavel, big club, just waiting for you to step out of line so he can whack you. But that's not what the Bible says. It says the Lord is gracious. He's disposed to show favors. Notice the next thing it says about him. He's full of compassion. Both mercy and compassion, as I said, in the Hebrew and the Greek are the same words. And they mean to love tenderly, to have pity upon. Now, the Bible says God's full of compassion. Well, if you're full of something, there's no room for anything else, is there? So if the healing blessing of the old covenant has been changed or altered or modified, reduced or withdrawn in any way whatsoever, then we're going to have to change some scriptures. I guess God's not full of compassion anymore. He's just half full. Or maybe not even half full. He just has compassion sometimes. That's not what the Bible says. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger. Folks, that may be the best news yet. Slow to anger and of great mercy. Now notice verse 9. 
It says the Lord is good to all, not to a few, not to some, not to the lucky ones. It says the Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all of his works. Now, if we're to take that literally, then that would mean healing, which is identified in numerous places, not the least of which is Acts 10.38, which says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. Healing is defined and identified as good. It's one of those good and perfect gifts that come down from God. So if the Lord is good to all, that would have to mean that he heals all. That would have to mean healing is available to all. And furthermore, the last part of that verse says that his tender mercies are over all of his works. Jesus identified the father in him as being the one that does the works. He said, the works that I do are not of myself, but the father in me, he's doing them then that means every work that Jesus did, not just the times that we see that Jesus was specifically identified as moving, moved with compassion to heal, but every healing work Jesus did, every work of Jesus that brought deliverance was because of the mercy of God. If we take that literally, there's no other conclusion we can draw. His tender mercies are over all of his works. That means that every work Jesus ever did Every good thing he ever did for mankind, every healing he ever produced, every act of deliverance he ever performed was because of the mercy of God. Now, Micah chapter 7 and verse 18 says that God delights in mercy. He's not just merciful. He doesn't just have mercy. He delights in mercy. Now, a scripture that doesn't have the word mercy in it is in 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9, which says this, or chapter 6 and verse 9, rather. It says this. It says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, searching for those whom he can show himself strong on their behalf. God's looking for people to be merciful to. He's hunting throughout the earth to find somebody that he can be merciful to. Now, I know what the devil might speak to your mind. If healing is good and healing is the mercy of God and God is so merciful, why didn't God heal me? Why didn't he heal me or why didn't he heal everybody or whatever the case might be? If we put ourselves in a position where God can show his mercy without violating his word, it works every time. See, a lot of times people in the body of Christ are praying, God, heal me. When the Bible tells God's plan and purpose and method for bringing healing to his people. He sent his word and healed them. A lot of people want to receive healing in every other way except through the word. God can't violate his own character and nature. But if we'll accept the healing method, which is the word of God, healing comes every time. He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them. Now turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 2. So Jesus comes to the earth. He shows God's intent, purpose, and attitude toward the sick by healing all that come to him to receive. He goes to the cross, suffers as our substitute for sin and sickness, and is raised from the dead. 
The Bible says he's raised to the right hand of God the Father. Well, what's he doing there now? What's the purpose for him being raised from the dead? His work's not finished. His work on the earth's not finished, but his work toward mankind and his goodness toward mankind is not. So what's he doing? Notice in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Notice the Bible identifies Jesus' attributes as a high priest for mankind, the go-between, the eternal go-between between God and man. And it identifies his attributes as being merciful and faithful. Merciful means full of mercy. Faithful means dependable. Now, what makes somebody dependable? They always do the right thing and they never change. Anything less than that is unfaithful. You never know. And that's the attitude that so much of the church takes toward God. Well, you never know what God's going to do. If he's faithful, you do. Well, you can never know for sure what the will of God is. If he's faithful, then you can. Because it's always the same. And his word is the revelation of his will. And it says of Jesus today, the same Jesus who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, it says of him today that he's merciful and faithful. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. Look what they did in chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14, it says, Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now the word translated touched is used one other time in the New Testament. It's only twice. Here and in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34. And in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34, it's translated had compassion. He had compassion on me and my bonds. It goes on in verse 35. Therefore, let us cast not away our confidence, which has great recompense of reward. He's making the same point. Same exact point. And it's a point about the mercy of God. Let's read it again. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Have faith in God. Stick to what you're saying that the word says to be true. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeding of our infirmities. We have a high priest that has compassion on us. And was in all points tempted like like us, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. We've already seen that mercy is a healing, or that healing is a mercy of God. Healing is part of the mercy of God. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now turn back with me to Matthew chapter 8. I want to kind of go full circle on this. Matthew chapter 8. 
Notice verses 16 and 17 again. When the evening was come, they brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. That it might be fulfilled. We talked about that word fulfilled a little bit. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. There's another meaning to the word fulfilled that I didn't give you. It means to fill up to the full. The picture is to literally cram a net full. But there's another word or another meaning that Strong's Concordance brings out about this word fulfilled. And it means this. It means to execute an office. To execute an office. Here's what the Bible's telling us. It's telling us that Jesus healed all that were sick when he was here on the earth. To fulfill what Isaiah said. To bring delight. To begin. The office that Jesus held. Isaiah said himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now what office did Jesus hold? Folks, there's two offices, two works that Jesus has done and does do now. One was a sacrifice. He was our sacrifice. He was our substitute. But the other is our high priest. Now, on the earth, Jesus fulfilled both. He began both. And the way that he began both was that even as we mentioned the examples in the Old Testament... Time and time again, the high priest or some mediator would perform the act that would bring healing to the people. In Numbers chapter 11, when the plague was stopped after the 14,700 were killed, it was Aaron who was the mediator. He was the go-between. A mediator is one that ministers or administers between God and man, the one in the middle. Aaron was the one in the middle. He was a type of Jesus. He took the censer that was filled with coals of fire. And he ran through the camp. And the incense that was burned from that censer. Was recognized by God as a sacrifice. And healing came to the people. The plague was stayed. In Numbers chapter 21. When the people were bitten by the poisonous serpents. Because of their rebellion. Their sin opened the door to to the snakes coming into the camp. Moses was the mediator. He was the type of Jesus who was instructed to build, to create or fashion a brass serpent and put that serpent on the pole. Now, Jesus said that brass serpent on the pole was the type of him. He says, Moses lifted up the brass serpent in the desert or in the wilderness. So must also the son of man be lifted up. So Moses is a type of Jesus by being the mediator and the brass serpent is the type of Jesus Just as the incense was a type of Jesus, the sacrifice that was made in Numbers chapter 11. So Jesus held two offices. Same thing is true with the Passover. Moses was the mediator that gave the instruction. The Passover was the type of Jesus. So over and over again, you see the same two things at work. A sacrifice or an atonement and a mediator at work. Those were the two things that Jesus did and does. He came to the earth as the mediator between God and man. He became the sacrifice. But now the Bible says, we started in Hebrews chapter 8, now he has obtained a more excellent ministry 
being a mediator of a better covenant. What's the better covenant that we have? Well, the office that Jesus holds as a high priest at the right hand of God is to administer the mercy of God. That mercy saves, causes a person to be recreated in spirit, but that same mercy heals. And God makes no distinction between the two. They're both equal benefits as far as David was concerned. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. First two he mentions is he forgives all thine iniquities. He heals all thy diseases. Now in David's estimation, as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost, he said there are two main benefits. One is the forgiveness of sins. The other is healing for the body. The modern day church says there's one main benefit and that's the forgiveness of sins. But when did God change? When was the mercy of God altered? When was the mercy of God withdrawn for the physical for the physical body? When was the healing ministry of God modified? How would that be a better covenant established on, on better promises? Jesus, the Bible says, is seated at the right hand of God to administer God's mercy to his people. Now think about what this would mean. If healing has been done away with and, and the new birth is the fulfillment of the Old Testament blessing of healing think about what that means jesus died for the ungodly that means god would have more compassion on his enemies than he would have on his children in this present day is there any possibility for that to be the case the modern day church is in effect saying The mercy of God is available to any enemy of God, any unsaved person which the Bible calls an enemy of God. But the healing mercy of God is not available to his children. How is that possible? It's not. I think one of the greatest works of the devil in the world that we live in is to hide the mercy of God. But every time we see that the mercy of God is published... The compassion of the Lord is preached and testified to. People come to Jesus from every quarter. No place in the Bible does God magnify his power above his mercy. No place. We can't find a scripture that says God is power. We've got one that says God is love. God has power. But he is love. He has ability. But he is mercy in action. That's the present day work of Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. He's there for one purpose. To administer God's mercy unto you and me. What are the limits of his mercy? The Bible says God's mercy endures forever. The Bible says there are no limits to his mercy. It's from everlasting to everlasting. As I said before, we'll put ourselves in a position to receive God's mercy in a way that that he doesn't have to violate his word. The boundaries that he's established, which is his word. 
God's mercy is unlimited. Every work Jesus has ever done is an example of God's mercy in action. If we'll magnify his mercy instead of his power, if we'll build faith in his mercy, Jesus said to the Pharisees who were famous for keeping the law down to the nth degree, he said to them that they paid tithes on spices. Woe unto you Pharisees and hypocrites. For you pay tithes on spices, anus and cumin. But you've omitted the weightier matters of the law. He identifies the weightier matters of the law as mercy and faith. He said, now your detail in paying tithes is good. But you should not have omitted the other things. He tells them even under the law that the two things that were most important were mercy and faith. Well, if that was the most important characteristics of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, what should be the outstanding characteristics of the New Testament, the New Covenant, if not mercy and faith? I'm pretty well convinced that mercy and faith will get you through on anything. The sick came to Jesus calling for mercy, and they were healed. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's close with Psalm 145 again, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. As I said before, that means there can't be room for anything else. Slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. Let's lift our hands and thank God for his mercy. Oh, Lord, we bless you. We magnify you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy, Lord, that endures forever. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We cry out for mercy to help in our situations. Just as the Holy Ghost told us, we come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Mercy. And apply the finished work of Jesus to help us in our time of need. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus.